everyone. Welcome to another new episode of Crafting the Revolution. My name is Katie Freeman and I am your host. Today's guest is Anna Loxog, who is a wood artist. Um, she really does a lot to bring new breath or a new spin to the wood pieces that um, she finds, whether it be reclaimed wood or um, nice, fresh, sawn, uh, live edge pieces. So I'm excited to bring this guest to you. I've been following along on Instagram with her work for quite some time now, and it's simply stunning. So I'm really excited to get to chat with Anna and share that interview with you all. Um, and this is just the second episode under the brand new name of Crafting a Revolution, which is also still super exciting. Before we hop into the interview with Anna, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thanks so much, Katie Thompson, uh, Women in Woodwork, Women in Wood, at Women in Woodworking, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spies, Sammy Go Sammy Lee, Sven Dorfsize Workshop, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Tool Mom Bonnie, toolmomstore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou made by Mary Lou, Brandy uh, at Studio Bay, Lee at the Rainbow Carver, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your ongoing and continued support of the podcast, helping me to produce two episodes a week, every week. And before we hop into the episode with with Anna, I just want to say if you want to get your name added to the list at the start of every episode, you for sure can. You can head on over to patreon.com forward slash crafting revolution. Or if you're following along with the podcast over on Instagram, which is just at crafting a revolution, the link in the bio there can take you directly there as well to join up with the revolution. And also, Big shout out and thanks to Hang Time and Wall Control for helping me set up my new podcast studio with these awesome, uh, awesome pegboards back here. Still got to hang the shells, but still big shout out to Hang Time and Wall Control. Make sure you guys are following along with them over on Instagram as well. All right, no further ado, here is Anna. So I am going to start. I uh, asked my guest to introduce themselves. So when you're ready, I'll let you do that. All right. Uh, my name is Anna Loxog and I live in Oregon. I'm a, uh, a day job of a risk manager in the outdoor industry that I've worked in since I was a kid. And um, my free time, I spend a lot of time doing woodwork and painting on wood and uh, other, other types of creative endeavors. Awesome. A risk manager in outdoor. I have to know more about that before we talk about <laughs> Um, it's, there's a lot to it, but basically just trying to help people not injure themselves while playing outside and then help people in the industry that I work in not injure themselves while working outside. So do a lot of workplace safety type um, work, training, education, and uh, yeah, this year, a lot of COVID safety related things. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot to it. Um, are you in like... Uh, just from because I follow your feed so are you into like is it like hiking are those I see skis on the wall oh, right yeah. so <laughs> they didn't get much use this season but they're here yeah. um yeah most most things um mountain biking skiing hiking running backpacking whitewater stuff okay. all, all the stuff that there is to do in Oregon pretty much yeah yeah um I've always had like a weird interest in hiking the is it the Pacific Trail, the one that goes like all the way up the coast. Yeah. Um, so, oh, there's there's the Pacific Crest, and then there's one that goes along the coast. Um, a few different sections that go along the coast. Mm -hmm. uh, you should do it. I am so not in shape for it, but that's so one of those like <laughs> feels like one of those like life altering type of decisions, right? Like you would learn yeah. a lot about yourself doing that. Totally. You, you can bite off chunks in, in smaller chunks too. You don't have to do the whole thing in one mm -hmm. go. I have a lot of friends who've done like three days here, two days here, 
and spent, you know, 10 or 15 years working their way through the whole trail system. So there's lots of ways to do it. Not everybody has like two months that they can just check out of life. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Okay. So now that I got that curiosity out of my system, (laughs) um, I want to know, like, so what's, like, what's your, what's your story, you know, from, like, where were you born to, like, how you got into doing all the things you do now? Oh, man. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, I turned 40 in a couple, a few weeks, so um, I've got 40 years of history. I don't know where to start. Um, It's okay. I turned, I turned 40 in September, so we're, we're close. (laughs) <laughs> Same to you. <laughs> um, I was born in Hayward, California, but lived there only for about six months of my life, I think. I have no memory of it. Um, but my parents moved up to the Northern California coast when I was a kid and lived there for another short amount of time and then spent most of my childhood in Truckee, California, which is in the Sierra, um, pretty close to Lake Tahoe, okay. a smaller town kind of on the outside of, of that zone. Um and yeah, I grew up in the mountains there, just playing outside, doing a lot of wood carving with my dad when we would go camping and lots of fishing and hiking and all, you know, all the things that the Sierra have to provide. Um, my parents are both super creative people. And uh, so I think I kind of got the bug from them, I guess, and always, you know, participated in all kinds of different projects with my parents when I was a kid. Um, but always kind of hated everything I made. I was really like, I wasn't one of those kids that was like, look at my pretty painting. Um, and thought I was a terrible artist. Uh, I'd say for most of my life, I still don't think I'm that great, but um, in, let's see, I went to school in Bend, um, Bend, Oregon, and eventually moved up to Hood River for the Whitewater. Um, and I've stayed for all the other things that are here. And broke my shoulder mountain biking, um, I think it was 2010, and couldn't ride my bike for a summer and couldn't really do much of anything and couldn't carry a backpack and couldn't, you know, couldn't do stuff and was going a little stir crazy. And my mom sent me to the art store and told me to find something that I could do. Uh, So I did. And that's kind of when I first started painting on wood. And um, yeah, a lot of the designs were initially kind of inspired by stuff that my dad used to make. He's an iron worker. And he would make these beautiful hand cut, you know, silhouettes of different natural things, you know, mountains or fish or whatever it was that he wanted to do. Um, And it just kind of grew from there. Initially, really simple stuff on very minimally refinished wood. And now I spend a whole lot more time in the wood shop than I used to. And I've learned how to use a whole lot more um, with regards to tools and everything else than I was initially comfortable with. So it's been a really cool kind of growth process and confidence building thing. Mm-hmm. So what did you, um, what you go to school for? Um, I went to school for outdoor recreation, leadership and education. So kind of stayed in that field for the day job side of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm curious to, what did you carve around the campfire? Are you talking just like whittling, like what some yeah. might call a little whittling? Okay. Yeah. Totally. We would just like make little animals. Um, a lot of times if we could find like a flat piece of cedar, we'd carve the outline of something and then try and give it some texture. So my dad still has some of the stuff that I would make. Most of it ended up in the campfire. It was more just, you know, something to do. <laughs> right. And, right. Yeah. He was a whole lot better at it than I was. Yeah. And it was all hand carving. He had a, a little set of carving tools that I now have. And uh, yeah, we would always play with those. Yeah. Nothing like what you carve. Well, I carve totally, I carve with power tools. I have much, much, much respect for those who do hand carving um, for several reasons. One, I don't have the patience for it, I don't think. Um, And I actually feel like it's easier to quote unquote mess up with hand tools than it is with power tools. which seems counterintuitive, you would think it'd be easier to like, you know, or maybe quicker to mess something up with power tools. But um, you really have to understand wood when you're doing yeah. hand carving. Um, it's so easy to take a chunk out of something with a exactly. chisel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. That's why I uh, end up in the fire pit. But. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, that's I've I've played around with it, you know, for actually years, even before getting into real woodworking. Um, I played around with it for years and that was my, always my issue. It's like, I'd get to a certain point where I'd be like close and then I'd accidentally take off like this huge, large chunk and I'd be like, yeah. ah, <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> chuck totally it. Done that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm not carving anymore for the same reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, no patience for it. So, um, but knowing again, being somebody that follows along with your work and seeing your painting, I'm actually I'm super surprised you think that like you're not, or you have thought you're not that great at it. Um, <laughs> I, I feel a lot more confident about it now than than I did when I first started out, or when I was a kid, for that matter. You know, yeah. When you grow up, you see like these very realistic paintings and pencil drawings and things like that, and that was the expectation that I had in my mind for like if you're an artist, that's yep. what you. And now, you know, as an adult and just living in the world that we live in with so much more access to seeing artists from around the country and around the world, it's, you learn as you grow older mm -hmm. that it's not all about perfection and making something that looks like it's real. It's about kind of finding your style and making what you like, so. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I would say it's a similar thing. Like I sketched a lot um, as a kid and I still, like I still doodle most of my notebooks have doodles like all of the <laughs> margins um but that's still always been my fear it's like I am not um I'm horrible at sketching anything figurative you know mm -hmm. like a person an animal whatever uh it has to be much more free-flowing um and so yeah my doodles make no sense but <laughs> yet, but yet they turn into you know end up turning into uh texture or whatever that I carve on my pieces and there awesome. it makes sense so um yeah yeah finding your niche so um why on wood why directly on wood I I don't even know where that came from I think it was I um you know I've played around with painting on canvases with acrylic paint and was never really happy with the backgrounds and I always thought that they were there wasn't enough like dimension or um I don't know I don't know how to put it but I you know the, the simplicity of what I paint with regards to it just being you know silhouettes for the most part and not having a ton of depth to it because of the silhouette aspect it, it just always I don't like how it looked on just a plain color background or you know a, a painted background but when I started playing around with it on wood, it just made a lot more sense because the wood has, you know, depending on what you're working with, pretty much any wood has just so much character and detail and depth. And if I get the right piece and I have the right idea for it, I can kind of play with the grain of the wood. And um, if it's a burl, kind of the cool um, mm -hmm. little spots in the burl that float up from behind a mountain and it looks like a big cloud or mm -hmm. smoke from a forest fire or something like that. So it's fun to kind of get creative with what I see in the piece of wood. And sometimes it's a really simple piece that is just grain going across it. And that's fine too. But you know, when I get a piece that's got a big knot in it or a burl in it, and I can kind of look at it and see a landscape and then paint the landscape in and leave the natural wood there. I really like that. And I just, I've grown up outside. I've always, you know, helped split stack cut wood. <laughs> and my dad and I would always find the really cool pieces out of the stack of wood when we were working in the yard. And take them and try and make things out of them so I was just again kind of inspired by my parents mm -hmm. creativity and connection to nature mm -hmm. now sourcing wood how are you how'd you start with sourcing wood and now how do you kind of find <laughs> your pieces um initially a lot of it actually came from our house my husband and I bought a just beat down house in 2009 and we've been slowly picking it apart and pulling old beams and old old things out of it and then um, rebuilding. So a lot of it is either scrap from the rebuilding or it's scrap from the demo. And once I realized that that worked really well, um, kind of in the beginning, I was using more dimensional lumber. So it was mm -hmm. going up to neighbors and letting them know if they were rebuilding their deck that I wanted all of their <laughs> leftovers. <laughs> and once people started seeing my art, they would start giving me a call and being like, hey, I've got this reno and we've got these really cool slabs or you know mm -hmm. beams getting rid of do you want to come get them and um since then you know it's been a little over 10 years and 
Uh, my in-laws, every time they have to take a tree out of their property, they have it milled up for me. And it's usually my Christmas present. <laughs> we go up to visit them and I get a bunch of slabs of usually live edge, you know, apple or, oak or whatever it is. Um, but a lot of it is just, I, I just kind of source it from the community. People have to take a tree out of their yard. They'll give me a call and I'll try and go get it. Or um, I've got three friends now that have mills on their property. So they, nice. they'll give me a call when they're milling stuff up and I'll go steal their scraps. Um, and then occasionally if I see a piece that I really love, I'll buy it from one of my, one of my neighbors with a mill that's mm-hmm. selling slabs. So yeah. yeah, you've got quite the library of wood in your garage right now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and most of it has been, was purchased years ago, but, um, so you make friends with mills. I need to make friends with some mills. I've, I've, I've made friends with a lot of, um, tree services. Uh, and so it's like, even just like my neighbor down the street, his, like one of his really good friends is, um, kind of just struck out on his own and doing his own tree service. And so now it's like, I'll just come home and there's like a random piece of wood on my porch <laughs> or like, or his driveway is getting full of like different things. Cause he'll help, <laughs> he'll help his friend out. So they'll be like, Oh, this is totally something Katie would want. So, they, like, right. you know, um, which I appreciate, but I am starting to run out of room to put all of this stuff. Um, I get random pieces left on the porch. You all come home and be like, oh, I wonder who that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's fun. Um, do you, I mean, I guess like a lot of the stuff I've seen, I think of yours has been more of the live edge uh, mm-hmm. pieces. And those definitely come with a certain amount of character, but I think it's interesting just even using dimensional lumber, like scraps, I think um, you've probably shown them in a different light than somebody like me, you know, would see them. Like I used dimensional lumber for like more of my like DIY home projects. I see Mm -hmm. Like, this is going to sound snooty, but I seem, see like no value in them artistically. Um, like I yeah. just haven't, you know? Um, so that's really kind of interesting. I could see like the, the reclaimed wood, you know, like I yeah. have a bunch of reclaimed uh, barn wood in my garage as well. So that stuff is fun. Um, yeah. Hey, makers. So today's podcast episode is sponsored in part by Alicia Van Osdahl, who is the owner of Basil Blue Design Company. Alicia is a maker of all things, really. Her focus is on beautiful craftsmanship through woodworking, repurposing, refinishing art and sculpture. Her background includes 30 years of graphic design, logos, and branding. If you have an idea or concept, that and need a creative solution or graphic design, you can email Alicia directly at Alicia, and that is A-L-I-C-I-A at basilblue.com. Or you can visit her website at www.basilblue.com. And fun fact, uh, Alicia actually designed the logo for Crafting a Revolution. So that is an example of the impeccable work you can expect if that is something you are in the market for. So be sure to look up Alicia again at her website, basilblue.com. All right, let's get back into the action. What What's the process when you find a piece? A piece of dimensional lumber or just in general? Just in general, yeah. Anything. Um, usually I, like a lot of times I find pieces that are pretty pretty awful looking like somebody is about to throw them in their burn pile and I'm like wait hang on (laughs) covered in mud but it might be pretty and yeah I try and look at it and make sure it doesn't have bugs in it um Mm -hmm. not too rotten or you know it's it's structurally sound not gonna break and fall on somebody um and then I I feel like pretty much any any wood that you find you can make into something pretty cool because it's it's a slab of wood to start with but you turn it into whatever you want. So um, in the summertime on a normal year, I do quite a few little markets and art shows. And I find that at those events, people like to purchase pieces that are under a hundred bucks. They don't, they're not necessarily looking to spend a ton of money on art. 
And so I'll make, um, and this is a lot of times where I use dimensional lumber too, but I'll make smaller pieces that are, mm. yeah, it's, you know, the size of your, your water bottle there. It's like just something yeah. that you can put in their purse and, and go home. Um, so I'll use dimensional lumber a lot for those and uh, especially pieces that are kind of beat up or, or tweaked somehow that can't be used for something else. I, I like to repurpose those. And then another um, four by fours, people love four by fours because you can stand them up. And so oh, I'll do yeah. on all three sides or sometimes on all four sides. And people like that, you know, that they can put it on a table instead of hanging on their wall. Um, but yeah, I think with any piece of wood, it's initially just kind of cleaning it up and seeing what it looks like. And then I usually spend a long time just staring at it before I figure out what I want to do with it. Like <laughs> I've got usually five or six pieces that are all finished and oiled that are sitting in my studio so that any given day I can walk down there and pick one to work on. Okay. So you're like, you're finishing like fully sanding, fully mm -hmm. finishing it um, before you ever paint. Yep. Yeah. So I'll do, um, I'll take a piece. Like if I go down to the mill after work today and decide that I want to go shopping, <laughs> <laughs> I'll find a slab and yeah, I'll just take it home. Usually have to take a bunch of bark off of it and you've, you've been there mm -hmm. um, and clean it up and then yeah, cut it to the shape that I want it to be and sand it to where I want it to be and go from there. And sometimes I'll cut pieces, like I'll take a really beautiful live edge piece and I'll cut it into a bunch of smaller pieces so that mm -hmm. I can make a handful of smaller pieces of art, just depending on what the need is at the, the place that I hang my art. And then also if I have any shows coming up, which finally this year I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, how'd you get into to selling your work? Like, where'd you, how'd you get from like, okay, this is something to keep me from going stir crazy to mm -hmm. something to sell. I, um, I think I just gave enough gifts to people that liked it. <laughs> um, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but I was basically, you know, making stuff and just giving it to friends on birthdays and whatever else, which hopefully they liked the art, but mm -hmm. <laughs> everybody was getting free stuff because um, I was just making a lot. And um, in, I live in a really small town in Oregon and we've got a little brewery in town and the owner of the brewery said, hey, I've seen a few of your things. If you ever want to hang them on the wall, we're looking for somebody to hang some stuff. And that was probably... 2011 2012 and um I hung a few things and they sold and the brewery finally decided like hey we don't need any other artists in here we'll just hang your stuff from now on and so I pretty much just once a week I try and go up there and hang a new piece or two um on their wall and especially in the summertime they they go really fast we have a big wedding industry here so there's a lot of people coming into town for weddings looking for gifts which is really helpful and then um we've also got a little art kind of cooperative boutique shop next door to the same brewery. So I have a lot of smaller things and printed things in that shop. And then I have bigger pieces of original work in the brewery and they kind of feed each other customers, which is nice. When you say printed, what do you mean by printed? Um, like mugs. I do, if I have a watercolor that I really like, I'll turn it into a print and make stickers and stuff like that. So just things that are easy to reproduce. Mm -hmm. And um, especially like, like for those markets and shows, it's nice to have just a affordable piece that I can, you know, 12 bucks, you can get a mug. Right. Um, I have them printed locally and I'll do hats and clothing and kind of all kinds of different stuff, mm -hmm. but not too much of it. I try to stick with only like four or five different printed products at a time. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like a pretty successful side hustle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> When, when, when does it become, or is there a desire for it to become the, the more full-time? Yeah, I think um, in a perfect world, I would love to do this as my day job, you know, make art as my day job and mm -hmm. do, you know, work in the outdoor industry more part-time. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say when that's going to happen, especially with everything that happened this last year, mm -hmm. it's, you know, sales in the art world, I'm sure for everybody were down. I was really thankful to have a handful of great commissions over the summer that I worked on. But um, yeah, I don't think it'll be anytime soon, but I hope, I hope eventually I can make that transition. Mm -hmm. I think that it's partially a mix of being able to um, make enough stuff at this point to, 
to be able to keep up with demand. And if I are have you the are that. you the um, the bottleneck then? Just your I, ability to like, make enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think my time is the bottleneck, and I've gone through so much um, so much work on trying to figure out how to balance my need for recreation and playing outside and spending time with friends and family and traveling and my need to make stuff and not just for my own mental health. Like I love making things, but also to mm-hmm. keep this business going and then also, you know, working. <laughs> so right. it's, I've been through a few iterations. I think that I, there was one a point in time where I was spending way too much time in the studio and just painting kind of felt more like a, a job than, mm-hmm. than that fun release that it is. And uh, I, yeah, this, this year has been a little bit better balanced, but mm-hmm. Well, and I would imagine too, I mean, because your work is very uh, inspired by the outdoors, like you kind of have to have that time outside to inspire, to create, I mean, to even create what you're working on. Yeah, definitely. It's, it makes a big difference to get outside and see different views. And um, I think every time I do something outside, I come up with a new idea on what I could paint or how I could incorporate a different view or a different style into my art. Mm-hmm. Do you sketch any of that stuff when you're out? Um, not when I'm out playing, um, but a lot of times, like if, you know, if we're going on a road trip or something, I'll sit in the passenger seat and sketch either on my iPad or just in a sketchbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of the art that I make, unless it's something totally new, is is freehand. So I'll just kind of paint as I go. And um, sometimes I'll screw it up and I'll have to go back to the wood shop and sand the paint off. <laughs> Um, most of it's freehand. If someone wants me to put like an animal, like an elk or something in their art, that always freaks me out because similar to what you said, I'm not good at painting people or mm-hmm. animals. And so a lot of times I'll sketch those first and come up with a plan. But yeah. How, I mean, generally, how do commissions work? Do people give you certain scenes they want? Um, Sometimes. It, it seems to vary based on the client. Um, sometimes there's people who know exactly what they want. And they say, I want this painting recreated in this format, you know, on this size wood. And sometimes it's completely, we just want a piece of your art. This is the mountain we really love. This is one of the views we really love of that mountain. Have at it. So it's, it's always different. Sometimes um, the clients are really involved in the process and they want to see a lot of different sketches before we finalize a plan. Um, I'll usually take a photo of the piece of wood that I'm going to work on, and then I'll put that in my iPad and using Procreate or uh, Illustrator, I'll mm-hmm. draw, I'll actually like draw what I'd like the painting to look like onto that piece of wood, and then we'll just kind of tweak things from there. But yeah, it's different every time. Does that in-depth of uh, interaction, like, does it make it harder to create the artwork? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, for me, it does, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a lot more fun working on just things that are coming out of my brain versus mm-hmm. something that I'm trying to make sure somebody's really happy with. It's stressful, mm-hmm. but it's also, I, I think with every commission I've ever done, I've learned something new and I've, I've grown from it or I've tried something that I've never tried before because the customer wanted something specific that was a little bit outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think it is more challenging. It's definitely more stressful because I'm, there's a certain person who I have to appease with the mm-hmm. commission. Um, and I've had a few people who've been like, Hey, I like it, but can you tweak this? Can you change this? Um, and it's hard not to take that personally once you've finished right. a piece. But it's also, like I said, I always, I always come out of it with a new lesson or a new skill. So it's been good so far. What type of paint do you work with? Right now I use um, acrylic, a couple different, there's a couple different brands that I'll get. Um, one thing that I've been trying to sort out and I'm not at a point to do it yet because I have tons of paint in, in my studio right now, but I'd like to move towards something that is a little bit more um, earth friendly, eco-friendly instead of painting with essentially liquid plastic, I'd like to mm-hmm. come up with alternatives. So I'm hoping uh, at the end of the summer when I kind of run out of what I have to start searching for a, a natural acrylic paint that I can use. I've tried oil, but it doesn't dry on wood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I tested that out and six months after I painted it, it still wasn't dry. So I finally gave up. Um, yeah, I was going to do you like put any kind of top coat on. Yeah. Use a, a matte acrylic finish on top. Okay. Yeah. And that kind of helps. I, 
I like it because it it makes it so that you can't really tell the difference between the gloss of the paint and the wood. It's all mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. one finish. And it takes away like some of the paint texture, which I don't know if everybody likes that, but I really like it. It almost looks like a tattoo when I'm done with it. Which yeah. I really so yeah. yeah, I've had clients who wanted it gloss finished and I'll put gloss finish on it if, if folks want it, but mm -hmm. yeah. Do you ever, have you ever played with like inks? I have, yeah, they, um, on wood, they bleed a lot. Mm. Unless it's a really hard wood and it's um, sanded down to like, at least 320 mm -hmm. uh, and then the grain has to stay that way so if it gets exposed yeah. to moisture in the process I'll have to re-sand it um, but initially when I first started I was using ink um, acrylic pens and that you know I learned I learned that there's certain situations where those work great but mm -hmm. I could do it if I put a finish on the wood first and then use pen afterwards but I just find that a paintbrush gives me a lot more freedom mm -hmm. yeah I mean, because exactly how you just said it to me, it it does look like a like your work is like a tattoo on the on the wood, and that is what's really to me as well. What's appealing about it? It looks cool. Nice. Um, with when you you mentioned before that you've gotten into you know you're using more tools and stuff like that than you've had before. Um, so what are you like? What kind of stuff are you working with in your space? I think initially I was freaked out by saws. I don't like loud noises at all. Um, so I would hand cut a lot of wood. I'd be sitting there for so long cutting through like a four inch slab of maple and I was just wasting so much time. Mm -hmm. um, and like the nice thing is that with my stuff, it doesn't need to be like, I'm not building anything. So having right. that rough finished edge, it looks pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, initially I was just, using a handsaw and a sander and that's it. A circular sander. I think it was mm -hmm. DeWalt sander. And over time I've learned that having better tools definitely makes it a lot easier to, um, to get things done efficiently and a lot less messy. So um, my favorite, very favorite tool is my Fest tool, orbital sander with the dust extractor. Um, so I use that. And then I also use uh, a miter saw probably for most of my cutting because most of my pieces aren't super big and a circular saw when I have to, but I still kind of hate using circular saws. I'm really short. I'm only five feet tall mm -hmm. and it's hard to find a space where I can, um, you know, get it low enough that I feel like I can control it with my, yeah. my body. But yeah. Hey makers, today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, and also great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout. If you enter the code maker mom, you will get a 20% discount off any of the merchandise that you buy. So that's just toolmomstore.com. All right, let's head back into the action. Uh, bandsaws. Yeah, so I think I think we've got a bandsaw that might be headed our way. My father-in-law has a huge shop, and he's slowly offloading all of his tools on us. Um, one of the issues, I'd like a bandsaw, but I don't have a ton of space. My studio, my workshop is a 10 by 20 um, shipping container that mm. we insulated and put a window in. So between the miter saw, my workbench, and a massive pile of wood, I don't have a ton of space for it. So... Um, yeah, I have, I thought about a bandsaw, just especially with um, working with burls to be able mm -hmm. to kind of cut, you know, cut more curvature into yeah. it so that can maintain the natural shape instead of having like a beautiful burl with all this stuff and then a straight line at the bottom. Right. right. But yeah, I haven't used, I haven't used them very often. Yeah, I could, I could see it coming in handy and it being a little, I mean, obviously there's like, there's safety stuff with every tool, but I mm -hmm. definitely know I feel more comfortable using a bandsaw than a circular saw. Yeah. Yeah. I like having a fixed blade. Like even with the miter saw, I just like that. I know where it's going. Yeah. And 
I, I don't have to worry about, you know, a whole lot of muscle to move it around. Yeah. Um, and you're moving the, the work piece, mm-hmm. not, not the tool. So there's definitely something to be said for that. And I've only had one personally only ever had one scary incident, you know, on uh, a bandsaw, but it was like very, it's one of those things that was like, that was totally my fault. And totally uh-huh. like, it was one of those things of like, I was taking a risk, you know, before, and I knew it, like, I knew like, okay, this could turn out really badly. Um, and it did, but I mean, I was, I was okay. Just what, yeah, I was working, what I was working on was not okay. And I had to replace the saw blade, but you know, it's yeah. like, um, but there's more, I don't know, more safety features built into it too. So it's like, okay, yeah, yeah I ruined my, I ruined my saw blade, but like, I didn't get hurt because that saw blade broke. Like there was all these things, you know, in place. So it's, yeah, I don't know. It seems like a, that's like really the only, I've got a miter saw and then my band saw and that's, um, and I do have a circular saw, but I very rarely use it again. It's one of those things of like, if I'm breaking down dimensional lumber to make Mm -hmm. something, you know, yeah, then that's what I use. Yeah. I'm not, not the biggest fan of that one. But yeah, the miter saw usually does a decent job, um, unless I'm cutting something really big. And mm-hmm. I think a bandsaw would probably be a lot better for that. But we'll see. I think I think we have one coming, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, most the tool I use the most is probably my my orbital sander, and then um, a variety of different you know different sanding discs for that. Something I'd like to get though is a carver like what you use, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the pieces that I'll get will have like especially the burls, they'll have big holes in them that I need to kind of carve out and clean yeah. out. And it's super hard to get in there. You know, I've got a Dremel that I can like try yeah. and clean in there, but I'd rather just be able to scoop the whole thing out. Um, mm-hmm. And especially if I'm doing epoxy work, I think it'd be really rad to be able to carve a little bit more. So mm-hmm. that's next on my list of tool purchases. Yeah. How do you, at. how do you get the, do you have any kind of like planer or anything for flattening? Yeah. Pieces? Yeah. I've got a, just an electric hand. Oh, planer. Yeah. Um, it takes quite a while. I've got, I have another, like a table planer, but it just, mm-hmm. it's so restrictive on size that you can put through it. And I'm rarely working with stuff small enough to fit through mm-hmm. that one. So um, rather than investing in another giant thing, I just use, I, I take my time and use the mm-hmm. planer I've got. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times I don't need things to be very flat either because I'm not building anything with them that you know, right. So I'll, I don't mind if there's a little bit of texture and wobbliness to some of the wood. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if I get a piece, a lot of the scraps I get from the mill will be flat on one side and then rounded on the other. I'll get like the end of the tree. Mm-hmm. And so I have to plane out a certain amount on the back so that you can hang it on a wall. Yeah. Wonky, but yeah, I guess that's what I was, was thinking about is just like it being able to hang yeah yeah sometimes I'll have to kind of play with the back of it to straighten it out a little mm-hmm. yeah and especially like do are you usually using it like pretty soon after it's milled or do you yeah, let it, it dry it some depends. I usually um I'll usually let like if stuff's just been milled and it hasn't been seasoning like if it fell recently and was yeah. milled recently, I'll let it sit for usually about a year before I play with it sometimes I'll cut it depending on what kind of wood it is and then let mm-hmm. it sit and sometimes I just try not to touch it at all and let it sit so it doesn't crack too much. Um, the hardest, I think, is working with rounds. People really love them when I paint them, but they're, it's so hard to find wood that is around that's not checked and then being confident that it's not going to check anymore if it's already got some cracks in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things, um, like, because obviously I'm working with rounds a lot, Um and as long as it's fully seasoned and it's reached below like a 12% moisture, you can be pretty certain it's not going to crack anymore. Um, no. It just isn't. It's kind of like, it's where it's at. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to, even with expansion and contraction over the years, it's not, you know, nothing because you're dealing with the end of it and end grain, it's not expanding and contracting as much as when you're dealing with like face green inside yeah. green. Um, but there have been times where it's like I was like carving a piece of cedar which cedar is super soft to carve mm-hmm. with and um, 
and it just happened like I hit a crack at the right spot and the whole thing just like disintegrated in front of me and I was like <laughs> okay sad. well I guess I'm not using that <laughs> I would. yep pretty much um so it is it depends on what you're trying to use it for too right yeah I, mean, I had a piece that I had fully painted I had done epoxy on it it was a pretty thin round of mm-hmm. pine but it was big and I, I think I'd let it cure for about six months in front of the wood stove in my in my workshop mm-hmm. and uh finished painting it, stoked on how it looked, put the finish coat on top of the paint, which added just enough moisture back into it. And it was sitting on the studio table. I was working on another piece and it just, and it didn't like blow up, but there's now a new crack in it that I need to go back in and fill with epoxy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how often are you working with epoxy? Not very often. Every time I do it, I tell myself I'm never doing it again. And then I do it again. (laughs) really cool (laughs) yeah there's there's a big learning curve when it comes to resin yeah Um, so big that I mean I've been working I haven't actually worked with it at all this year surprisingly Um, but I've been working with resin for as long as I've been really woodworking I've been playing Mm -hmm. with it and I still don't get it all right <laughs> like there's always still something that gets messed up um so messy to work with like it's I messy it, sanding it just creates all this little yep. microplastic everywhere it drives me crazy sticks yep. to everything it's it's messy and it's expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> um super expensive yeah. um and thoughts that I've had especially since the wood working world has kind of grabbed onto it and I totally understand why but I just don't feel I'm like we haven't seen what it looks like a hundred years later. I know what like a piece of just wood furniture looks like a hundred years later. (laughs) Yeah. Like if it was built correctly. Like burls that have been epoxied 50 years ago and they look terrible now Mm -hmm. because the epoxy is delaminating from the wood. And yeah, I totally agree. I also worry some, you know, the way that I use it is different. Generally I'm not doing like a big, you know, epoxy style table, but I'll just fill it with it but I also yeah I worry that it's kind of a trend and it's just not going to be not not going to look that cool down the Mm -hmm, road mm -hmm. but I it does look amazing I mean I've seen some tables that I'm just totally um, I'm also like after having worked with it a fair amount looking at someone who's just poured a massive table with like 10 gallons of epoxy in it Mm -hmm. the work that goes into that is just amazing yeah, I the biggest resin thing I've done is like a I made a coffee table and I encased a maple slab, like completely encased it and it was 9 gallons of resin. Oh my god. <laughs> 9 Yeah, 9 gallons of resin poured at a quarter inch thick. Wow. And then waiting and then pouring cuz this was I did this before some of the newer uh brands have popped up on the market. Um yeah, you had to go one layer at a time. Yep, one layer at a time. Now, the cool thing is, like, the side looks like a popsicle, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, like, because I tinted it all. And, of oh. course, I couldn't get the tint, like, to be perfect from layer yeah. to layer to layer. Um, yeah. And so it totally looks like it was an orange one. So it totally looks like a popsicle. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah, that part, that part is cool. But I do worry, you know, I know, I know the person who bought it. Um, and I do worry. It's kind of like, I, I really hope, fingers crossed, that it holds up uh, yeah. as time goes on. Um, and again, I wouldn't be as worried if it was just a piece of wood furniture. Totally. Um, you know. Yeah, you, you know what that's going to do over time, like you said, mm-hmm. and how it's going to weather and everything else. But yeah, I I like playing around with epoxy, but for me, it's more of just kind of a once in a while to do something different and mm-hmm. usually to make a massive mess and end up throwing tools because I get frustrated. <laughs> and then I tell my husband, like, hey, next time I say I'm going to do that, tell me, remind me about this moment. <laughs> Is he failing at reminding you or are he you just ignoring it? does remind me that I'm super bullheaded. <laughs> so I do it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm really good at forgetting how much something sucks after the fact. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. Um, 
where, what do you, like, what do you hope, or how do you hope you grow going forward, like, in your practice, and like, what are things you want to try? I think, it's a good question. I think I'd love to, um, you know, in the past, I've incorporated more color into my paintings, and then I'll move away from that, and then I'll get back to it. I'm currently not doing much in the way of colorful colorful paintings, but I am kind of thinking about trying that again. Um, normally, similar to what I'm already doing, it's pretty simple. So it'll just be like the, the maybe the water in mm-hmm. a painting will have a blue tint to it. So I'd like to start playing with that a little bit more. Um, I'd like to learn how to watercolor a little bit better just because of the... Um, I guess I shouldn't say better, but get more experience with it and learn how to use it. You know, learn learn what I can do with it. Uh, it's it's really mobile, and I travel a fair amount, and I really like having an outlet when I'm traveling or when I'm visiting family to be able to go make something. And traveling with giant slabs of wood and woodworking tools is not as easy. So yeah, like on you know, I do a lot of multi-day whitewater trips in the summertime with friends, and to be able to be able to you know, bring some art with me and -hmm. and actually make stuff that I can later use or sell would be nice. Right now, my watercolors are pretty rudimentary, but really fun. Um, So do you have like one of those traveling packs, like the, where it's got like the squares of all the colors and stuff? Yeah, I have a little tiny palette and then a a tiny little booklet that I'll take. And then I've got a slightly bigger, you know, kind of size of burrito that has a few different bigger palettes that I'll take with me, depending on how how much I have, how much room I have to pack if I'm, you know, backpacking mm-hmm. on a boat or in a van. So, um, just depends on where I'm at. But yeah, I think I think exploring some different mediums is something I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. And then just continuing to improve my woodworking skills. I think learning learning more about wood, like you know, you're talking about the percentage of moisture in the wood and when it's mm-hmm. cured. Like I, I need to geek out on that kind of stuff a little bit more so that I can be more confident that what I'm working on is ready to be worked on. And mm-hmm. um, I'd love to learn how to do dovetails and just some, some of the things I can do to help stabilize the pieces that I've got that have cracks. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. I could totally like butterflies and stuff would work really like yeah. the, or the bow ties, you know, would yeah. work really yeah. well. Yeah. Sorry. That's stuff. what I meant. Yeah. Bow yeah. Ties, butterflies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I don't really ever plan to be a carpenter, or build things mm-hmm. necessarily, but I would like to know more about that, you know, that side of things, the actual mm-hmm. cutting and working with wood um, and getting just more comfortable with different tools. Yeah, absolutely. Is this, um, like, do you share this hobby with anybody? I mean, I know your parents creative and stuff, but mm-hmm. is it something like, do you have anybody in your circle of, people that do something similar? Um, I have a fair amount of friends that are woodworkers. Uh, My friend's dad, who is one of the people who often leaves chunks of wood on my doorstep, (laughs) um, he's a a great woodworker, uh, makes really impressive stuff. And so he, uh, he's been able to, you know, teach me some things and, and give me some guidance. But yeah, there's where I live, there's definitely a lot of people that are carpenters and woodworkers. And like Mm -hmm. I said, have mills. and understand the craft a little bit better than I do. Mm-hmm. Go beyond just sanding wood, making it pretty. <laughs> you know, I would hire somebody to sand wood and make it pretty for me. Um. <laughs> yeah, that point a lot. Sometimes I'm just like, it's not hard. Anyone, anybody need a job? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I'm I'm watching the time, so I want to. Uh, we're getting towards the end of time so I want to give you a chance though to let people know like how they can find you and follow along with you and see your work yeah um, I've got a website it's www.bascocreative.com and it's b-a-s-k-o creative Um, I'm my dad's Basque so the nickname Mm -hmm. is always Basco and that's where (laughs) that came from Uh, horribly misspelled but it works yes (laughs) and yeah same on Instagram it's at Basco creative and then uh, my name's Anna Loxog, and you can find me that way. I think if you search my name, it'll go to my website as well, because there's not very many people with my last name out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, awesome. those are the two best ways. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for chatting with me today, Anna. Yeah, thank you. That was fun.
Yeah, definitely. I've had you on the list for a while, so it was fun to chat. Yeah, this is the first podcast I've done too. So thanks for that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to be hitting you up for some beta on um, your carving tools here soon when I'm ready to take that plunge. So I'm very, I love watching what you do. It's really cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Super interested in learning more. Yeah, definitely. All right. Again, that was Anna and I will include the links on how you can follow along with her in the show notes for today's episode Easiest way to find that is in your podcast app, whatever podcast app you're using in the description for the episode, just click on the links there. Or if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, you can just check the description down below and find the links there on how you can follow along with her and see all of her amazing artwork. All right, so if you enjoyed today's episode, especially since we're under this new, brand new name, Crafting a Revolution. I just really, I love saying that. Fantastic. Um, Please do me a favor. Make sure that you hit that subscribe, like, comment button, whatever's on your podcast app or YouTube. And I haven't asked in a while, but head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, tell people what you were enjoying about the podcast. All of that really helps um, a new audience find the podcast. And I enjoy so much that I get to chat with all of these female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. I love learning their stories. I love sharing their stories with you, especially. And so I want to share their stories with even more people. So help me do that. Go over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, tell a friend about the podcast, especially with the new name, Crafting a Revolution. A little bit of a fresh start, a little bit of a reboot. Help us out. All right, when I am not making podcast episodes, you can find me uh, most of the time designing and making furniture over at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings across all the social media like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and active, again, for the most part on a daily basis on Instagram and TikTok at Freeman Furnishings. I'm currently in the middle of a shop move and wrapping some stuff up in my old shop before I bring it all home to my new shop space. So might not hit that daily mark, but really trying. Still would love to see you over there. Say hi, say you found me through the Crafting Revolution podcast. I love hearing that. So it is Wednesday. I hope you all are having a great week so far. I hope you had a fabulous 4th of July weekend if you're here in the States. And I will see you all on Friday with another brand new episode. She, her, fan, they got some-